Chapter 11 of Falcons of Narabedla by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 The Last Sacrifice. The flow of strength had renewed me. I felt that I could face whatever came. I thrust Everin's mirror into my pocket, flung a word to Narayan, and we were riding again, gamming racing behind us. The blue shroudings had been torn to ribbons by the snappings of the falcon claws. I could see the pallid gleam of naked flesh through the torn veils. The noise of battle behind us grew more distinct. I could make out the explosions and the distant flashes of colored flame. I shuddered. Even now that frightful army of falcons might be winging to join Adric and Everin. The rebels could kill some of them, but for every falcon dead there would be twenty more slaves for Narabedla. What could Narayan's men with their scythes and pitchforks and rusty guns do against the incredible science of a toy-maker? Narayan's strained face was ghastly in the moonlight. I needed no telepathy to read his thoughts. Slaughter for his men, what for his sister? Our horses seemed to lag, to drag through a mire of motionless, yet they were at the full gallop of their endurance. The sound of fighting grew closer. Everything in me cried out that I was an utter fool, riding full tilt into a battle in which I had no stake. Yet something else told me, coldly and with a grim truth, that all I possessed was what I might win today, for this was the only world I would ever know, that I would never see my own world again. Never! And Adric should rot in a hell of his own choosing for that! The sounds of fighting seemed very close. Narayan pulled up his horse so quickly that it nearly sent Gamine plunging into his back. He said in a low, concentrated voice, "'Adric isn't at the battle. This way, quick!' He whirled the horse and dashed down a side road at right angles to the way we had been riding. If we had raced before, now our horses seemed to fly. The battle raged behind us. I heard dim screams the neighing of wounded horses, the muffled sound of earth flying upward, exploded in fire. But it had a dreamy, unreal quality, like noises through a nightmare. We had left the forest and were riding across a dark and hummocky plain. Moss padded our hoof-noises, now and then some small furry thing skittered across the track we were following, and twice my horse shied at swooping birds and my heart stopped until I saw they were not the falcons of Everin. Stark and black against a treeless horizon I could see the dreamer's keep, between the small crescents of the two lesser moons. The largest one rode a golden orbit over my head. I rode hunched in the saddle, my eyes on the vast cairn only a few miles away. Suddenly a vast arch of lightning spanned the sky above the dreamer's keep. Blue lightning! I heard Narayan groan like a man in his death agony. Twisting in my saddle, I saw brooding horror on his face, mingled with pain, and a terrified satisfaction. The sacrifice! I still... feel it! He breathed in labored gasps. I still... take from it... Mike! Mike! His voice held unbearable torture, and the veins in the fair face stood out, black and congested with effort. If I start to work for... them... Promise! Promise to shoot me!" Oh, God! I gasped. Mike, promise! Gamine, 
Gaming spurred the horse to his side. I heard the low voice, sweet, almost crooning. Again the vast arch of blueness spanned the sky. Narayan dug spurs savagely into the side of his horse and raced ahead of us. On the plain, limbed starkly against the sky, a horseman appeared. He rode low in the saddle, his horse carrying a double burden, but racing fleetly to the keep of the dreamers. I cursed. I knew that lean crouched figure, knew it as well as my own. Adric rode to the sacrifice, and before him, limp across his saddle, he bore Sanara. The rest of that nightmare ride is a blank in my mind. The next thing I remember clearly is reining up beneath the lee of the gaunt pile of rocks on rocks that was the dreamer's keep. There was no sign of Adric or Sanara, no sign of any living person, nothing but the incandescent blue lightning that rayed out now every four seconds or so. Narayan's face was a white death-mask, and Gaming's breathing came in short sobbing pants. I alone was free from the effect. My body throbbed and tingled with the weird energy set free in the night. We flung ourselves from our horses. Gamine tugged futilely at the torn veilings to conceal her face, and for the first time the blurred invisibility wavered, and I caught a glimpse of one blue eye, blue as the sky lightnings that rose and flared and died. The lee of the tower dwarfed us with its massive bulk. Gamine clutched my arm, the cruel fingers digging bruisingly into my flesh. Listen. I strained my ears. All I could hear was a low, not unpleasant humming, like the singing drone of great bees or high tension wires. But the sound struck both aliens with horror. Narayan opened his lips. I dug frantically in my other pocket, brought out the toy Reese had given me. At sight of it, Narayan's haggard face relaxed a little. He caught it from me with quick hands. Free of Adric he breathed with that swift erasure of tension I had seen before. He drew a long, moaning sigh. He closed his eyes for a moment. Somewhere above us a scream rang out, a cry bestial in its mad appeal. It broke the static immobility that held us, and Narayan, sliding the toy inside his shirt, turned and began to run around the tower, Gamine and I panting at his heels. We came around the corner beneath an arching outcrop of stonework. No one needed to give orders. As one, we scrambled up on the ledge, crowding close together. I gripped my hand on the knife in my belt. It had a comforting feel. I needed that. A framed archway let us look down into the inside of the keep. Below us a voice cried out despairingly, unbelievingly. "'Adric!' we heard Sonara cry out. "'Adric! No! Oh, no!' Under our combined weight the glass shattered. We hurled inward. We found ourselves standing on a great shelf, about ten feet above the interior floor of the keep, looking down at a scene framed in stark horror. Golden Karami, dwarfed Idris, Everin, stood in a close circle about a ring of coffins which gleamed crystal, glowed with scintillant radiance. In the hand of each of them was a tiny, jeweled, faceted toy, and in the coffins Gamine screamed. The dreamers! Not till then did we see Adric and what he was doing. In the center of the ring of coffins a dais rose upright, horribly altar-like, and a line of mindless slaves, nude, vacant-eyed, defiled before the altar. 
As each slave stepped forward, there was a shuddering moan from the others. The tiny swords rose and fell, and in a brilliant flame of blue light, the slave was not. And Adric, Sonara struggling between his hands, was thrusting her forward, into the space between the coffins, toward the nexus of the blue light, toward the sacrifice stone of the dreamers. The sight put us beyond caution. We threw ourselves from the ledge, and went down into a writhing, sprawling mass of living flesh. A barked command from Idris, and the slaves swarmed on us, drowning us in smothering bodies. I kicked and sprawled and thrashed and scratched and bit my way to the top of the heap, and somehow, for a second, I rolled free. That instant was enough. I was on my feet, the knife in my hand. Dragging bodies clung at my heels. I kicked out savagely, felt my boots strike naked flesh, felt and heard the pulpy sound of a skull crushing under the impact of my heel. The sound rocked my stomach, but I was not in a position to be fastidious. My eyes were swimming and trickling blood. Gaming clawed and thrust free, and together we elbowed out of the press. Everin sprang at me. I thrust blindly with the knife in my hand, ripped into his shoulder, missing the throat by inches. I caught the toy from his hand as it fell free. A moment of the clinging, tearing melee, then we three, Gammon and Nerean and I, were standing back to back in the center of the ring of coffins. There was a long howl of pain and terror from Everin, and the four Narabedlins flung themselves backward in a panic terror. From within the coffins the dreamers were waking. But Adric was no coward. He threw himself quickly forward, caught at Sonara again, and with all the force in his lean arms he flung her, straight toward the nexus of blue light. Narayan and Gammon stood frozen, bound by the toys in their hands against the light, but I broke free, I passed straight across the cone of blue lightning. Unharmed. The blasting energy tingled pleasantly in my body as I caught Sonara in mid-air, and reeled away from the force that would have meant annihilation for her. Narayan broke away from the paralysis momentarily and caught Sonara's staggering body from my arms. Then I felt the impact as Adric's tall, heavy body crashed against me, felt the shock as my fist smashed against his jaw, and heard him grunt as we locked into a clinch that carried us nearer and nearer to that center of blue energy. A moment we swayed there, at the very edge of the lightning, then Everin's tensed cat-body hit in the center of my back. Again the heat thrust needles through me. Adric was flung clear, but there was an arch of blue that spanned the vault, a wild scream like the death cry of a panther, and the toy-maker was... gone. Within the coffins the blue lights wakened, as if the last flare of energy had freed them. Quickly Idris and Karami ran forward. Quickly Adric leaped to join them, thrusting the talisman toys against the very lids of the coffins, but too late. The toys in the hands of Narain and Gamine spat glaring blue fire, and step by step the Narabedlins retreated, farther, farther, farther. The coffins were suddenly empty. As if by magic, three old men and a woman of surpassing beauty materialized about Narain and Gamine. In their faces I could distinguish a curious likeness to Narain and to old Rhys, and Narain, within the circle of the dreamers, reached out and flung the tattered veils from Gamine. 
A triumphant chant rushed sweetly from the lips of the spellsinger as the veils came away, and in the center of the mutants stood Gamine the Dreamer, dwarfing them all by a pure majesty. The majesty of a dreamer who had never slept. A woman she was, slender and fair and very beautiful, and as like to Nereyan as a twin sister. And I thought of Isis and the young Osiris, as the blue eyes blazed out and the lovely body arched upward in tall freedom from the shrouding veils. Blue lightning swirled and faded, and the dreamer's tower was bathed in trembling iridescent rainbows. Karimi and Idris retreated step by step, slinking back into the shadows. Only Adric stood his ground. The rainbows died. The air was void and empty of energy. The dreamer stood looking on the crouching Karimi with her hidden face, on the bent, gnarled dwarf, on Sonara, kneeling white and radiant, on Adric, who stood with his lips parted, staring at Gamine like a man released from a spell. It was Gamine who spoke, her eyes resting on Karimi. She has done much evil. The others clamored, but Gamine shook her head, long pale hair lifting electrically around her face. No, she disclaimed softly, why should they die? They are only an old dwarf, a silly old fool who could not make up his own mind. Her eyes dwelt disquietly on Adric. And Karami, they have no power. Now we are freed. Pity them. Now we are freed. Adric slowly drew himself upright. His slackly parted lips set firmly, and he looked at Narayan with a dispassionate, stubborn shrug. Kill me, if you like. No, Gamine. Narayan stepped toward the man in crimson. Adric, he said in a strange, half-choked excitement, I want to see what you saw before, to see what sent you away, to see the thing that drove you mad. Gamine's veils. Gamine, let him see. Show him, Gamine. Show him what he saw then." Gamine came forward slowly to where Karami knelt. "'Stand up!' Slowly Karami rose to her feet. There was no hope in her eyes, no mercy in Gamine's. The two pairs of eyes, cat-yellow and blue, fought for a moment. It was Karami's that fell. The dreamer woman smiled faintly. "'My brothers and my sisters,' she said at last. Karami is beautiful, is she not? I suppose no woman on earth has ever been or ever will be as beautiful as Karami the Golden. She stood proudly, turning to Adric, and I saw longing and love break forth in the man's eyes. He gazed and gazed, and Karami laughed and held out her arms, and Adric, bemused, went toward her. Hold him, commanded Nereyan tersely. One of the dreamers made a curious sign with his left hand, and Adric was arrested, stood gripped in a vice of invisible force. "'See?' Gamine said in a ringing voice. "'But now see Karami, shorn of the illusion her dreamer threw. See the form of Karami that she made me wear. This!' She reached out and touched Karami with the little talisman she held. There was a gasp of horror from many throats. Karami. Karami the Golden, there are no words for the change that took place before our eyes. I was sick and retching with horror before the metamorphosis was half complete, and turned away my eyes. 
Sonara was sobbing softly into her skirt, but Adric, frozen, could not look away. Gamin's laugh, low and sweet and doubly deadly for its sweetness, reached my ears. "'Shall I lend you my veils, sister?' she murmured, mocking, and again the horrible laugh. "'No. Go forth!' Her voice was a lashing whip and with a broken wail the thing that had been Karami threw up an arm across the staring sockets and fled away into the night, and we never saw it again. So that was the end of Karami the Golden, the end. A little later I found that Adric and I were staring stupidly at one another, puzzled, but without animosity. Sonara came and slipped an arm around Adric, and I turned away, embarrassed, for the man was sobbing like a child. I was amazed and sick with the enormity of all that I had seen and done. I stood and shivered and shook with deadly chill. I suppose it was reaction. Steady! Nereyan's steely hand on my shoulder kept me once again from making an ass of myself. You've done us a big favor, he said after a few minutes. I wish I had some adequate way of thanking you, not for myself, for millions of people. Perhaps one day we'll find a way of sending you back to your own world, but—his shoulders moved negatively—I can't say. Adric's lean, non-human face peered over Nereyan's shoulder. He looked subdued and spoke with a curious humility. He sounded sane. There will be a way some day. It will take time to find it now, but there will be. Spontaneously we grinned at each other. I could not hate this man. I knew him too well. I knew suddenly that we would be friends, which indeed is what happened. Narain looked from one to the other of us, troubled. Then Gamine's intent face was at his elbow. I'll see to these men, she said quietly. Narain, they need you, and it's your responsibility. They have to be told why they were wakened, and how. There are slaves to be freed, armies." Narain glanced guiltily over his shoulder at the other dreamers, who stood huddled together in a bewildered little knot. "'That's so,' he acknowledged gravely, and went to his people. I watched him, feeling as if one friend here had deserted me, but it had to be that way. Narain was not our kind. He was a sort of man who could remodel a world, but the look he sent us over his shoulder told Adric and I that we should, if we liked, have a share in that work. "'Now, Mike Kenscott,' said Gamine, "'I want to talk to you.' We left Adric and Sonara in that place, and I cast a wistful glance back at them. Sonara was lovely and very human, and, I suppose, I had hoped that in some way she would compensate for my enforced stay in this world. But there was Adric. Gamine and I stood on the steps of the dreamer's keep, and her voice, soft and wistful, mourned in the gray dawn. No one ever knew I had the dreamer powers, except old Rhys. Rhys and I were bound together. He knew and kept me close to him, hid me and helped me. One day Adric found out. It changed Adric. He, we, freed Narayan together. Then Karami made me what I was, what you saw. 
It hurt Adric, hurt something in him. I could have cured him, in time, but Karami had him bewitched. She stripped him of power, of memory. I do not know, but perhaps some day Adric may remember that I was... I was... Gamine! Gamine! Adric's voice cried from within, and the next moment he rushed forth, caught the dreamer woman in his arms, and his mouth met hers, and she stood swaying in his arms, laughing and crying together. Sonara, following slowly, smiled with gentle satisfaction. I said, stunned, What? Over Adric's shoulder, Gamine's blue eyes met mine in liquid satisfaction, and she finished her interrupted sentence. I was Adric's wife, she said gently. Sonara's voice was tenderly humorless as we left them together in the glory of the rising sun. Poor Gamine, she said, and poor Adric, too. I was sorry for them both. But I wish these men would make up their minds. I had an idea. Adric's made up his mind, I said, turning my head a little toward the couple who stood, clasped, as if they could never let go. I suppose, I came a little closer to Sonara, who stood looking up at me with wide, innocent eyes and lips ingenuously parted, I suppose that gives me the right to make up my mind, doesn't it? She smiled. Does it? But her bright eyes had given me my answer, and I never had to make up my mind again. The End of Falcons of Narabedla by Marion Zimmer Bradley.